Shabbat Shalom. Johnny Carson once said that before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, if they're upset, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> because offering criticism is a tricky business. It's important, we know, but it can lead to disastrous consequences. But sometimes, can lead to good places. Now, our movies and TV and books are filled with motifs of people who don't get along at first and kind of hate each other, but eventually they come around and they start to like one another and they even become friends. Harry and Sally, Alex and Meredith, Tom and Jerry, Cosgrove and Schwartz. We love, we love these stories of when people who shouldn't get along do. And I think part of what we love about it is watching the way in which they transform the conflict. Now in the Torah reading from this morning, we get one of the originals, one of the originals of this Avraham and Avimelech. Avraham and Avimelech are sort of warring tribal chiefs here. And Avraham and his wife Sarah go into Avimelech's land and they pull one of their usual plays. They pretend to be brother and sister. Avimelech, thinking Sarah looks wonderful and seems great, brings her into his home. Chaos ensues. He finds out it's actually another person's wife. Now we've seen this story before. This is the exact same thing that happened when they went down to Egypt with Pharaoh. But there's a difference in this story. When Pharaoh finds out what happened, right, that Abe and Sarah were lying and that actually she was his wife, Pharaoh says, how could you do this to me? Take your wife and get out. And Abraham, doing what you should do when Pharaoh says get out, gets out. But Avimelech takes a slightly different tack. When he finds out what happened, he turns to Avraham and he says, Ma ki asitaza. What did you expect to happen when you did this? Why did you pretend to be brother and sister and lie to me? And then Avimelech does something that is key to transforming any relationship. He waits for an answer. And he listens. And Abraham says, well, I thought, Avimelech, that you and all of the people with you probably weren't such God-fearing individuals. And I was worried that you would kill me in order to get my wife. And so we pretended to be brother and sister because we thought that that would be best. Which is another thing that is crucial to transforming a relationship. What does Abraham do? He tells the truth. truth. Exactly right. For the record, live stream, everyone shouted truth at the same time. <laughs> By telling the truth, he's opening himself up. To Avimelech, look, I thought such bad things about you. 
I'm sorry. And Avimelech replies by saying, my land is open to you. Settle wherever you want. And this begins, according to the rabbis, the biggest friendship in the book of Genesis. Avi and Abi, they hang out all the time. Avi Melech is invited to Yitzchak's party, his birthday party that we read about in the next chapter. They hang, they go golfing, they play board games, they, I don't know, whatever it is that friends do today. They FaceTime. They, that's what they do. And this whole thing culminates at the end of the chapter when Avi Melech turns to Avram and says, let's make a deal. Let's make a bargain, an official treaty between our peoples. It's time. And I need you to swear to me that you won't deal falsely with me. Which seems right given the past that they had. And Abraham says, of course, I agree. Let's make this treaty. And then says the Torah, Avraham critiques Avimelech for the incident of the well. And then they go on and they make the treaty. Now, this is odd for a couple of reasons. First of all, we have no idea what this incident of the well is. I'll save you the half hour I took going back through the Torah trying to find the incident of the well. It's not there. So if it wasn't important enough to take up even a sentence of the Torah, you're telling me it's important enough for Avraham to bring it up right now as they're trying to make a peace agreement? Second of all, I'm no business person, but I kind of imagine that the moment in between someone handing you the contract and handing you the pen is not the time to start critiquing them. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's what Avraham does. He says, yes, I'll make an agreement with you. Hold on. I have to tell you something about the well. All right, fine. Now let's sign. So what is happening in this moment? Now the rabbis are as flabbergasted as I am and they all come up with different reasons for what's going on. Why did Abraham rebuke Avimelech over the incident of the well? So Rav David Kimchi, uh, not the guy who invented fermenting vegetables, but a 12th century French commentary, he says that there was some issue that happened before about a well and it was supposed to be on this guy's land and not that guy's land and he says it was a common issue that shepherds all over the world have had for thousands of years they're fighting over the source of water that's what it was but why did he bring it up says the radak he says he brought it up because he had to clear the air before they could go on and make this treaty now this is something that perhaps we recognize as you're trying to make an agreement, as you want to come closer to someone, as you want to build a relationship, there's maybe a little bit of air clearing that needs to happen. Even if, like Ross and Rachel, it might delay the drawing near. It's a really specific reference. I just couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. Rashi an 11th century commentary says the word used for rebuke actually means argue. And it wasn't that he rebuked him for the issue of the well, it's that they argued about this issue for the well. Now, what does that tell us about how we make a deal with someone or how we draw nearer to someone if in this moment of making a peace treaty, they argue about the well? Well, 
First of all, who argues? Equals argue. So it shows that Abraham has gone from being this immigrant wanderer on Avi Melech's land to an equal that can have a debate with him. It also shows us that sometimes every single piece of the deal does not need to be settled for the agreement to go forward. They can make a treaty between their people and still have this issue of the well yet to solve. Here I'm thinking on a tefka. Everybody gets along, everything's fine, just don't bring up whether it was a mule or a horse or the whole thing's going to explode. But they're able to move forward despite that. Finally, Sforno, a 15th century Italian commentary, says that in this moment, Avimelech is telling, excuse me, Abraham is telling Avimelech, you know, the people in your employ, they're stealing wells, they're not doing such nice things, they're not God-fearing folk, your, your friends aren't so great, and that's a bit of an issue for me. Now, here is something a little bit odd. This goes beyond it was an issue over a well or it was some fight that's going on. This is now a character attack. He's saying, you, Avimelech, look, I love you. I want to make a treaty, but you should know you hang around with some not good people. Again, tactically, this is interesting. I'm not so sure. Where's my Ufraf couple? I'm not so sure that under the chuppah is when you turn to the other person and say, you know, I really hate your friends. <laughs> but that's what's happening, according to Sforno's read. So why? Why would he bring that up in this moment? Maybe it's a sign of closeness. Maybe it is an extension of that initial issue where Avraham was worried about Avimelech's fear of God, about his demeanor, and he's bringing it back up. Maybe he's saying, look, I see you. We're going to make a deal, but I'm going into his eyes wide open. You got some people working for you that are not so savory, and I want you to know that I know. Kind of changes the nature of this, but perhaps that's what's going on in this moment as well. Now, what I love about this story, what I love, I think we all love about the stories of odd couples who make these arrangements is it's the world that we all live in. We all have people in our lives that we want to transform from a somewhat contentious relationship, perhaps, to a friendly relationship. We all have this personally, and we see it nationally and politically, to be sure. The act of coming together, of finding a way to get along despite our differences, is hugely important. And it's important to do it in the right way, as we've seen. So maybe it involves clearing the air and saying, all right, all right, we're committed to one another, but you got to know, there's this thing and it's still bothering me. Maybe it involves saying, we're going to move forward, but there's still some arguments that we're going to have along the way, and that is, in fact, okay. Or maybe it involves saying, I want to be here and I want to do this, but we've got some issues and I want you to know that I know about them. And again, this could be about a business partner. This could be a spouse. This could be a neighbor. This could be a friend. There are many ways in which we need to work together to come together. 
And what we see from Avram and Avimelech is that the way to do it is open and honest communication, of course, listening and actually wanting to hear the answer, being prepared to be enlightened, not just listening to be prepared to fight, but also the ability to offer critique is hugely important as we come together. And the Midrash tells us, in fact, on this verse, Rabbi Yossi says, there can be no love without critique. There can be no love without critique. Why is that? Because love with critique, when I critique, I show I'm still in this. And I can say something, and you're not going to walk away. Right, Cantor? I'm looking right at you because you're the... Yeah, okay. Um, it shows I care about you and I, I think you can do better. You are the best. But <laughs> I think that you could do better and otherwise I wouldn't say something. So critique shows love. It shows I want to be here and so I need to do something to make sure that I can be. Critique shows love. The Midrash continues, Reish Lakish says, without critique, there can be no peace. Without critique, there can be no peace because being able to approach another person as an equal and say, I have needs, I have wants, I have something that I need to tell you is the only way that we can build a peaceful relationship. Being okay hearing that from someone else and saying, yeah, you can say something bad to me. You can say something that I need to do better on and we're still going to be friends. We're still going to move forward with this treaty. You need that to make peace. This is all about trusting one another and communicating with one another. And as we watch Avimelech and Abraham close out this Parsha as friends who make this treaty and Avimelech known as one of the great righteous non-Jews in our Torah, we see the way in which trust and critique done well for love and for peace can transform what could have been as contentious as Avraham and Pharaoh into a great lasting peace. This is something we all need in our personal lives. We need in our national life. We want to live in a world not of polite silence, but of constructive and loving critique. Shabbat Shalom, friends. <laughs>